Well, it's a delight to be with you tonight. If you would please join me, open your Bibles to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. I want to bring you a message entitled, The Blessings of Fearing God. I'm going to read our text for us, and then we will look at it together. Praise Yahweh. How blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in Yahweh. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. He has given freely to the, full, to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Fear is a funny thing. We live in a society that has been paralyzed by fear. Just over the last few years, we've seen this fear that has come upon this land because of COVID and people reacting in all kinds of interesting ways to deal with that fear. Now we have this fear that's been brought about by so-called climate change. You know, consider all of the advisories that come across your device on a daily basis. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that I need to be warned every time I put an address in my GPS coming from Keller to Southlake that I am entering a location with an excessive heat warning (laughs) or that it is an ozone alert day. You know, that creates quite a dilemma when those two warnings come out on the same day, doesn't it? Stay inside so you don't die of heat exposure. Also, don't drive to work, but rather bike so that our planet doesn't disintegrate because of your pollution. We get it. It's hot. And because it's hot, I'm not going to ride my bike 10 miles to get to work. But there's all kinds of fear about these types of things. Fear brought about by the rising levels of inflation. Fear of war breaking out because we're on edge with our enemies. Fear of civil unrest within our own country. Fear regarding the incompetence of government. Fear brought about by violent crime being on the rise. Fear of tests coming back from the doctor that are not good. Fear of the future for our children. Fear of getting older. 
how many anti-aging creams are actually out there. Fear of death. Our world is paralyzed by fear. And unfortunately, those of us who are in Christ, who are not of this world, can be paralyzed by the same types of fear at times in our lives. And it's important for us to remember as believers what Jesus said about fear in Luke chapter 12, when he said this in verse 4, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, Jesus says. You are more valuable than many sparrows. You see, the type of fear that is to characterize people is not fear stoked by this world, but rather it is the fear of God. And for the unbeliever, this fear is to be a fear of judgment and condemnation, fear of the one who has both the right and and the authority to cast them into hell because of their rejection of God on his terms. This is an eternal fear with with eternal ramifications. For the believer, fear, which is the fear that is highlighted in our psalm, is a fear that expresses itself in in worship of God with awe and, and reverence and honor and love and obedience. This type of fear is expressed in wholehearted faith and trust in God because of who He is and and what He can do. This fear is expressed in the life of of humble submission to the sovereign ruler of this universe who has graciously reconciled us to Himself through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Psalm 1:12, the author offers praise and worship to Yahweh for the fact that the person who fears God is one who experiences the blessings of God. This author praises God and calls people, his people, God's people, us, to praise God for the fact that God blesses those who fear God. Him. And before we go any further unpacking this psalm, it's important to understand that Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 are, are intricately linked together. For instance, both psalms begin with the same praise to Yahweh. You see that in verse 1 of Psalm 11 and that same thing in Psalm 112. Also, both are written in an acrostic format where each line of the psalm begins with the next consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This is common in in Hebrew poetry. Also, both psalms are set up in the same way in terms of Hebrew parallelism. So, verse 1, the first line says something. Verse 2, the the, that line is parallel to the line above it. And there, there are several sets of two that flow all the way down to verse 10. Happen in each, line, each, each verse of the psalm. And then in verse 10 of both psalms, this parallelism takes place in three different lines. 
So they're set up the same way. Psalm 111 records the works of Yahweh and calls on his people to praise him for those works, whereas Psalm 112 focuses on the blessings of one who fears Yahweh and calls on his people to praise him for those blessings. And one thing to take special note of of as we look at this psalm is that some of the characteristics used to describe Yahweh in Psalm 111 are used to describe those who fear Yahweh in Psalm 112. For example, look at Psalm 111, verses 3 and 4. This is speaking of the Lord. Splendor and majestic, splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Now look at verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 112. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. Similar characteristics, those given to God in Psalm 111 and those used to describe the one who fears God in Psalm 112. One other thing to note at the outset is that Psalm 112 is a wisdom psalm in which it displays similar characteristics to those wisdom statements that we find in the book of Proverbs. And specifically in our psalm, it is a recounting of blessings and a distinct contrast emphasized between the righteous and the wicked. Those are similarities to the wisdom literature that we find in the Bible. As you look at the text, I want you to notice how Psalm 111 ends. Look at verse 10. It says, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. In a very real sense, this verse sets the tone and helps establish the theme for Psalm 112. And you see that because of how Psalm 112 begins with the same theme of the fear of the Lord. So if we were going to kind of narrow it down and, and give us give ourselves a theme of this psalm, I would say this, that the, the theme of Psalm 112 is that those who are blessed are those who fear God and delight in His commandments. That those who are blessed are those who fear God and delight in His commandments. And we are to praise and worship God for that reality because that's what the psalmist calls us to. And you see that theme disclosed in verse 1. Look at verse 1 with me. Praise Yahweh. How blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who greatly delights in his commandments. Praise Yahweh. God's people are to praise him for his faithfulness and and caring for those who, who fear him. And God cares for this one. God cares for those who fear him by blessing that person. The idea of of blessing them here in this psalm is that he makes this one content. Content in God and able to to go through this life. It's that true type of contentment that that causes us to sing, it is well with our souls. That's what this blessing is that we will find in this psalm. And notice the individualistic nature of this blessing. It says, how blessed is the man, each, each man, each one who lives in the fear of Yahweh is blessed. 
Those who are characterized by standing in awe of the holy God of this universe, which is manifested in worship and adoration, love, obedience, and submission, that one, the psalmist says, is blessed. The psalmist continues on in the second half of verse 1, fleshing out the description of this one who is characterized by fearing Yahweh. And it says that this is one who greatly delights in his commandments. This concept of of greatly delighting in God's commandments is being stressed in in reference to, to fearing God. That is to say that one who fears God finds great delight in studying God's word in order to truly know the God of the word and and to know his commandments. This also means that God's commandments for the one who fears God are a joy to keep. They're not a burden. Why? Because he or she knows that living according to God's commandments leads to a fulfilling life. God blesses those who fear him and delight in his commandments. So then what do these blessings look like in the life of the one who fears Yahweh? Well, in verses 2 through 10 of this psalm, we discover that God-fearers are marked by several virtuous qualities that ought to compel us as believers to walk in the fear of God. God. And I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 2, number 1, that a God-fearer enjoys life. A God-fearer enjoys life. He says in verse 2, his descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Enjoying life in this verse is expressed, first of all, as a lasting legacy. His descendants are those who who are the offspring or literally the the seed of the one who fears God. Each successive generation that follows. The psalmist says that this, this seed, these descendants, they will be mighty on the earth. That is to say that they will be influential and they will be well respected. The generation, the entire family of the upright, which is a parallel description of the one who who fears the Lord here, one who is righteous and obedient, the generation of this entire family of the upright will be blessed. That is to say that the family of each successive descendant who fears the Lord will be mighty and blessed. This is describing the reality that That descendants that have parents that fear God will will more than likely fear God themselves. Remember this is a wisdom psalm. And that it's not saying that this is the case in every single family. But that it is more often than not the reality for those families that fear the Lord. And this certainly makes sense as those who who grow up being taught the word of God and having the truth modeled for them in everyday life and, and being brought to church consistently as having a great chance of being impacted by divine truth. Friends, it matters that you're here. It matters that you bring your families here. 
Because what this means is that your commitment to fearing God and delighting in his commandments will impact your family. It matters. It matters to your children. It matters to your children's children. Listen, you don't live in a box. We don't make decisions in a vacuum. The decisions we make as individuals have effects on the lives around us. And those decisions that you make as parents with your children have a great impact on your children's life. Your commitment to fearing God, the psalmist says, gives you the opportunity to enjoy life by establishing a lasting legacy that impacts generation after generation. Again, it doesn't happen in every single family. But the reality is that the person who fears God grants their family the opportunity to then know God and be blessed of God as well. But not only does the psalmist express a lasting legacy as an aspect of enjoying life, it is also conveyed in the accruement of material prosperity. And you see that in verse 3. He says, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. The way that this verse reads in the original, the psalmist is placing emphasis on wealth and on riches. Why? Because these two words are describing having that which is sufficient to live on and to build a life with. Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 8 tell us that wealth and riches are the gift to those that love and pursue wisdom. Proverbs 8.18, wisdom is speaking and says, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. One who fears the Lord will have all they need in this life. The phrase in his house there in verse 3 indicates this, that they will live in a comfortable way having all of their needs provided for. The reality is, That is coming across is this, that God takes care of those who live lives of worship to him. God cares for his people. He cares for those who love him, who reverence him, who stand in awe of him. This means that God-fearers can trust God to take care of them, even in the throes and the difficulties of this life. And that they can enjoy the the good gifts that God has provided to them as, as an act of worship to Him. It frees us up to enjoy the life that He has given to us. Because we are doing it out of reverence for Him, out of love for Him, out of worship and submission to Him. Notice the end of verse 3, it says, His righteousness endures forever. Now this is one of those phrases that connects this psalm to the previous one where it is used of God. In fact, this phrase is typically used in reference to God, but not here in verse 3. Here the psalmist is explaining that the God-fearer, the believer, 
will live out the righteousness of God in his or her life that has been granted to him by God. This imputed righteousness. This is how this one will live. This one who who fears God will have this righteous impact on future generations. Will have a lasting impact on his home and on his family. Friends, one who fears God is blessed by the reality that they get to enjoy life. There's a second virtuous quality that marks one who fears God and delights in his commandments, and it is this. A God-fearer expresses graciousness. A God-fearer expresses graciousness. As you look at your text, verse 4 begins with a bit of a, a confusing statement. He says, light arises in the darkness. And what the psalmist is doing with this phrase is, is he is alluding to the reality that living in a fallen world is characterized by darkness and difficulty. And he does this to emphasize to us that though one who fears God is blessed by God, that that doesn't mean they still won't encounter the trials and the difficulties of this life. The the psalmist is not giving us some sort of prosperity gospel here. It's not saying that you're just going to have this this unbelievable life without all of these problems and all of the issues that come along with life. That's, That's impossible. We live life in a fallen world. We live life in a world that's been corrupted by sin. And so he's... He's alluding to that fact as he's about to make another statement here. What he is saying is this, is that this light that is given is God's provision of enablement to walk through life's difficulties obediently. To walk through this darkness that it alludes to in the first part of verse 4. To walk through this darkness obediently in a way that pleases God and glorifies him. You see, the the one who is upright, the one who fears God, is able to trudge through this difficult life as one who is characterized as gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Again, don't miss the fact that these qualities are used to describe God just a few verses before this in the previous psalm. This is significant Because the psalmist is telling us that the God-fearer is marked by the same qualities that describe God. The God-fearer expresses graciousness in the way that he conducts his life. The word gracious here has the idea of one who is kind to people. One who looks out for others' interests. The idea of compassionate refers to one who is sympathetic to another's needs. They are tender toward them as a a mother is with her newborn child. This word righteous refers to one who is benevolent. This is one who is a protector, one who is just and and does what is right. And verse 5 goes on to explain that it is well for this one. It is good for this one. That circumstances are favorable toward this one who is gracious and lends. That that is one who is marked by graciousness and generosity. 
It is well with him. You can see that the psalmist is is compelling the reader to see the blessings of fearing God, to see what life looks like for one who lives in obedience, submission, and worship to God. At the end of verse 5 there, it says that he will maintain his cause in judgment. That is to say that this one who fears God conducts his affairs with justice. In other words, he makes right decisions. He makes good decisions. Don't miss that correlation. Wisdom in your everyday decision making is governed by whether or not you are living in the fear of God. And of course that's true, right? Believers living in the fear of God are what? They're delighting in the commandments of God. Therefore they are consumed with the word of God. Which is where wisdom for our everyday decisions come from. So of course that's true. This begs the question then. Is your life a bit of a mess right now? We all have seasons, ups and downs, different things we struggle with. But is your life a bit of a mess right now? Do you find yourself in a pattern marked by bad decision making? You just look over the last several weeks and months and just say, yeah, I've made a lot of bad decisions in this time frame. See, the psalmist here is compelling you through the wisdom of this psalm, to consider the blessings of living in worship, obedience, and submission to God. And one of those blessings that you receive from that is godly, beneficial, rational decision-making. One who fears God emulates God's character by being marked by generosity and wisdom And overall graciousness toward people. True blessing indeed. Well this leads us then to a third virtuous quality. Which marks the one who fears God. And that is this. That a God fearer exemplifies stability. A God fearer exemplifies stability. And we see that in verses 6 through 8. Verse 6 continues on explaining that this gracious God-fearer will never be shaken. That is to say that he will never be dislodged. He will never be made to stagger in his integrity and his commitment to the Lord. And that word never there in verse 6 is an absolute negative in the Hebrew language. Meaning that ultimately one who fears God will not slip in his commitment to the Lord in a, in a final sense. Not to say there won't be times in our life, again, ups and downs, struggles, wobbling in commitment, but ultimately this one who fears God will not slip in their commitment to the Lord. In other words, they will make it. <laughs> and as the text says, 
that instead of slipping, instead of being dislodged, and instead of being shaken, he will be remembered forever for his righteous way of living. That he will not be forgotten. Listen, one who fears the God, who fears God, will have the things that they are involved in in this life, the righteousness that they do, be remembered. And this is, this is critical for us to understand in a world that is marked by instability. You see, one who fears God is marked by, by security and steadfastness in the midst of chaos. And our world is pretty chaotic right now. Friends, we are in desperate need of believers in our churches and, and in our society to not be affected by, by the temporal instability of this life caused by the corruption of sin, but rather to establish themselves as pillars of stability that can be relied upon to bring truth and wisdom to bear upon this world. Friends, you and I are not to be swayed back and forth by the chaos of this world, but rather we are to be steadfast in our purpose and in our focus. Notice the psalmist goes on in verse 7 to further describe this posture of stability when he says that, that he will never fear evil tidings. That is bad reports. Remember, he's not exempt from the bad things happening, but he doesn't fear the bad reports. The news that you are so committed to watching and listening to is inundated with bad reports from all over the world. This one who fears God, the psalmist says, is one who is marked by stability, not fearing those reports, not being swayed by those reports. They don't get all wound up and begin to fret and worry and and cause those around them to, to do the same. They don't fear this life. They don't fear those who have temporary power in this life. Why? Look at the end of verse 7. It says, His heart is steadfast, trusting in Yahweh. And that is to say, His mind, His, his will is, is sure and certain. That he is fully confident in the Lord and and that is demonstrated by his ongoing faith in Yahweh in the midst of the chaos. Verse 8 goes on to say that this one is upheld. That he is is steadied. That he is secured. And and that verb here is is passive, meaning that the action of being upheld is, is happening to him. And who is he being upheld by? By God. It goes back to what we were studying this morning with Pastor Tom. That the one who has truly been born of God is one who is kept by God. He's kept by Christ. Now this one who fears God is, is one who is being upheld. His heart is upheld. 
Therefore, he will not fear. God stabilizes the one who fears him in this life and and enables him to, to never fear the circumstances of this life. Including the circumstances that involve opposition from others. And that's how verse 8 ends. He says, until he looks with satisfaction on his, his adversaries. One commentator says it like this. He says, this is the sure result of the end. The righteous win and all of their dark days, all of their bad reports, and all of the evil, op- evil opposition will be defeated. This is the life of one who fears God. Like, and it's not that they're exempt from all the difficulties, from all the issues, from, from seasons of darkness. But they are upheld by Yahweh. They, they, they don't fear the things that they hear. They don't fear the reports that are coming their way. They don't, they don't fear what is happening in this temporary life. They, they fear God. Therefore, they are blessed and they are sustained and they are stabilized in this life. Friends, we need to be stable. We need to live lives of stability for the sake of our own souls, for the sake of the souls of our spouse, for the sake of the souls of our children, for the sake of the souls that we come in contact with every single day in this world. They need to see that genuine stability that comes from being upheld by God because, they f- because you fear God. And as that opposition comes at times, even your adversaries will be taken care of. And this brings hope and, and contributes to a life of stability. Be compelled by the truth that the psalmist is bringing to bear here. That your stability in this life, including the ability to to withstand all of the various pressures, is connected to your commitment to living in the fear of God. That is a life of worship, a life of obedience, and a life of submission. On the flip side, a life of sin, or a life of self-service, of living for the same ideals as the world... That equals a life of instability and a life that is governed by the fear of man. That brings us then to a final virtuous quality that marks the one who fears God, and that is this. We see in verses 9 and 10 that a God-fearer endures forever. A God-fearer endures forever. And we see this reality in, in the contrast that is communicated between verses 9 and 10. Again, don't forget that this is a wisdom psalm. And so one of the primary characteristics of a wisdom psalm is the contrast made between the righteous and the wicked. I want you to notice first in verse 9 the positive thrust which signifies the eternal endurance of the righteous. This verse begins with the psalmist reiterating what he has already stated concerning the one who fears God. And that is that he is generous. It says there in verse 9 that he has given freely to the poor. He scatters freely his resources that he has in abundance to the poor. 
A God-fearer's generosity is a a symptom of of gratitude to God, and it results, as verse 9 goes on to say, in his righteousness enduring forever. What does he mean by that? Well, the righteousness specifically here refers to his righteous deeds of generosity. In other words, the righteous works of the one who fears God has eternal value and lasting impact. Don't you want your life to count? Don't you want your years on this planet to, to mean something? Don't you want your efforts in this life to have eternal value? That's what he's saying. He's saying the one who fears God will have their righteous works endure forever. They will have a lasting impact, an ongoing impact. Notice the end of verse 9. It says his horn will be exalted in honor. This phrase is is a metaphor describing military strength and and victory. And the psalmist is is using it here to indicate that one who lives a life of fearing God will live a life of honor and victory. And he will experience that in various ways in his life, but ultimately this honor and victory will be experienced completely and eternally in the presence of God. As the one who fears God, the genuine believer, the genuine who worships God, passes on from this life to the next, they will then see that honor and that victory come to fruition. Ultimately, the one who fears God will endure forever. Their righteousness endures forever. Their righteous works endures forever. Lasting impact endures forever. They will endure forever. Notice in the contrast in verse 10, which emphasizes the thrust of this truth from a negative perspective. This is the contrast of the wicked. Verse 10, the wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. What is it that the wicked, uh, which is those who don't fear God in our text here, what is it that the wicked will see? Well, they're going to see the generosity of the righteous. They're going to see the honor of the righteous. They're going to see this this legacy, this lasting legacy of the righteous. And it says they're going to be vexed. What is that? It's that they will be angry and they will be irritated. They will gnash their teeth, the text says, which one commentator describes as as a response of powerless rage. And ultimately, they will melt away. That is to say that they will become weak and useless, and ineffective in their efforts because of their rage against the righteous. And they won't be able to do anything about it. Their desire here in verse 10 is that same word used of Eve's covetous desire in the garden. And the psalmist says that that desire will perish. It will be lost. This is the exact opposite of generosity. The generosity is, it comes from one who scatters. This is that covetous desire and it will be lost. And it won't be just lost temporarily. It will be lost ultimately, eternally. He's saying this, that their covetous desires will not be fulfilled. They will ultimately be 
dissatisfied. That ultimate dissatisfaction will be experienced both in this life and in their eternal damnation. This eternal reality serves to emphasize by contrast the truth that the one who fears God will endure forever. Friends, you don't want verse 10 to be you. You don't want to be the one found in the contrast of this psalm. You don't want to be characterized as those who are wicked. As those who don't fear God. If this is you, if you're characterized as as the one who doesn't fear God, if you're characterized as the one who, who lives for this world and lives for the fear of man, ultimately hasn't been found in God because your faith isn't in Him, then you need to understand, if verse 10 is you, that that you don't fear God and you don't belong to God and that you will be eternally judged by God. My plea is that you change that tonight. My plea is that you come to this, this glorious God who is, who is worthy to be feared. Who is worthy to be worshipped and, and adored and, and obeyed. That you come to Him. That you bow your knee before Him in submission. And believe in His Son. Friends, come to this gracious God through the only means which has been determined, which is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the means by which you come to this God and begin to fear Him. Begin to get on this journey of living a life of fearing God and experience the blessings that come from fearing God. Because you have to come through Christ. You have to turn away from your sin. You have to turn away from whatever you're believing in. Whatever you're holding on to. Whatever, whatever's got your heart. You've got to turn to Christ. You've got to believe that he is indeed the Son of God who came and lived this perfect life in your place. Doing everything you were supposed to do, but doing it perfectly without sin. And that he went to the cross and that he died the death that you deserve to die. Again, in your place, as your substitute, paying the penalty for your sin that you deserve to pay. And that he rose three days later, triumphant over sin, proving that he is who he says he is, and proving that God accepted his, satisfied, his, accepted his sacrifice and was satisfied with his sacrifice on our behalf. Friends, come to him. Come to him. Fellow believers, be compelled to live in the fear of God and not in the fear of this world or the fear of man. And it can be so easy 
to get caught up in one of those cycles, can't it? The psalmist, through this psalm, is, he is compelling us. He is compelling you to fear God, to reverence God, to not be swayed by the things that are coming at you in this world, to not be swayed by your circumstances, to not become dislodged, but to fear God and delight in his commandments. And praise him then for the blessings that manifest themselves in having a life marked by enjoyment and graciousness and stability and eternal endurance. Because that's what this comes back to. Remember, that's how he started. He started with praise Yahweh. And God is the the giver of life and God is the one who causes you to fear him as he draws you to himself and brings you to that point of salvation. But then God is the one who also pours blessings upon your life as you obediently do follow him. As you walk in that fear, as you reverence him and you worship him. And so the psalmist is compelling us to praise him and to thank him for that truth. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm. God, we want to be those who are characterized, who are marked as ones who fear you. As ones who live lives of worship and obedience and submission, reverence and awe. Those who are not swayed by the difficulties of this life, by the arrows of the enemy, we are steadfast, knowing that the God that we fear is is holding us. He's going to take us all the way to the end. We worship you for that. We, We thank you. We praise you as the psalmist compels us to do. Thank you for bringing us to yourself. Thank you for granting us the ability to fear you. And thank you for blessing us as we walk in the fear of you. We love you and we're thankful for our time tonight. In Christ's name, amen.